And he, he said, so Chad, tell me, what, if you have to point to one thing, what's the secret sauce? This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Welcome everybody to this episode of From Paint to Purpose, uh, a podcast sponsored by FCP Services. Today we've got uh, a guest who is familiar with our business, but also with the business model that we have been running now for the better part of six, probably close to seven years now almost of running EOS. Uh, Chad, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you uh, what you do, and then we'll get into uh, more of a deep dive on talking about EOS as a business model. Great. So, Chad Haldeman, I'm a uh, John. Thanks for the chance to be on, and and great to see you again. Great to be collaborating with one of the leaders of FCP Services. Um, glad that you guys are thriving in this. Uh, in this new year, it's not so new. Um, so I'm a senior business advisor with The Resultants. We're a business advisory. We help small business, and we define that between three and $100 million uh, who have maxed out. We help them go further faster, uh, adjust and, and implement oftentimes an operating system, and uh, go further faster. So by structure, strategy, people, and we use two primary tools, uh, EOS being one of them and the value builder system being another and working with leadership teams. So. And how long have you been with Resultants? Since 08. So, uh, or excuse me, that's I started my practice in 08. It's been eight years. Eight years I've been with Resultants, John. And before you got into the consulting work, uh, had you uh, what part of your career was with organizations, and what got you transitioned into being a business consultant? So, um, quick correction for you: I'd say business advisor. So, just we're a little picky about that because <laughs> teacher, facilitator, coach to us, a consultant is somebody who comes in with a specific subject matter expertise and tells you what to do. My experience, teams like FCP Services with people like you and James uh, and, and Robert, very bright technical experts, you don't need my subject matter expertise around what you do. Um, so it's more around the operating system. So sorry, we're, we're just a little picky about that. That's a differentiator of ours. Um, I was a, John, I was a, a Fortune 200 guy. I was uh, started out in the media industry in a Roy Disney family holding, small, quote unquote, small holding, and uh, pre-deregulation. And the industry deregulated in 96. It was a very profitable business since it was a very attractive acquisition um, uh, time and period and business. I was with the same company for almost 20 years, John, five different owners in that time. So it was one roll up after another. And in that time, I was a Gallup consulting client for about a decade. So I was steeped in strengths-based management. We did our own, uh, we had our own Q12 implemented, um, our own Q12 methodology, employee engagement. I also was a client of Pat Lencioni. The table group uh, worked with us at a few of our conferences. And so we were very much a believer in 
in Lencioni's uh, team health concepts principles tools. So most of my time was most of my time, uh, John. I was a general manager or a VP sales or regional. So it was leading, building, being a part of leadership team. And so from that, from that experience and moving to what you guys term as small business, anywhere from a couple million dollars up to a hundred million dollars, what have you found that you've been able to translate what you did there as a general manager and VP into advising, uh, businesses who, as you point out, are often subject matter experts. They've gotten to where they are because they are good at what they do, but now they're trying to accelerate their growth and sort of almost every business I've ever been a part of too. At some point, whether you're in the hundreds of millions to billions, you hit a wall and and you need something that's going to leverage you uh, further. So what did you take from your experience working in that uh, Fortune 200 world to the small business? And how do, how do you practically say, yeah, this is what I did and here's what I learned and here's how it translates to those other businesses. So that's a, um, <laughs> there's the million dollar question. And I was, so I'll, I'll answer that by telling you a story. I was being interviewed on the front end as a potential resource for a company, a security technology company by a board member, bright guy. Um, he's, he's on a number of boards around town and, a, and an operator himself. And he, he said, so Chad, tell me, what if you had to point to one thing, what's the secret sauce? If there's one thing you do that is that magic button for a business, if there is such a thing, what's that? And I just, without a second thought, it's team health. If, if, and the thing that I was taught, John, and the thing that's, and, and I think you're pretty passionate and pretty good at this yourself, it's if we can build uh, a culture with the old Jim Collins, right people, right seat, but even more importantly, a leadership team that is aligned around those values with the right people, right seat. And, and they're, they work well together. They can argue like brothers and sisters respectfully and professionally. They're balanced. They have complementary strengths. That's to me, that's the X factor is that team health, the leadership team being the head of the beast in my opinion and experience. And that's that's what I was steeped in and had some great mentors and, and teachers around that. What is it when you think about leadership, how do you define leadership then? So management leadership, to me, manages, I don't think it's just things. I think you manage people as well, but managing is really around numbers and objective things and systems and um, uh, uh, a regular cadence of uh, meetings. Uh, leadership to me is about inspiration. It's about relationship. Um, it's about really creating a vision and uh, around uh, com and communication. To me, great leaders that I, when I when you ask me the question of leaders, I just picture faces, John, of probably much like you. I've had some great leaders in my day. Jimmy DeCastro was one of the leaders that I had. He called himself P.T. Barnum. And <laughs> getting all the rings of the circus working well together. And the thing that Jimmy did so well is he brought this energy. And he could tell a story and paint the vision and get us excited about not only the industry we were in, but what we were doing and how we were performing. And uh, I, get the, yeah, I get the chills just thinking about that now. Um, he made such an impact on me. So that to me, Jimmy is like the epitome of a leader. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, that the the visual of that is what I think does stir the the imagination for people, and ultimately that's what you're trying to do as a leader, right? Is to get people to see where we can be, and then they are the ones that help you get there. Ultimately, I think from a leadership perspective, you learn pretty quickly that you're only going to go as far as your leaders, and if your leaders are tra- carrying the water for everybody else, uh, and and are not learning to train and and develop other people you're going to you're going to hit a wall which i think transitions well to why often organizations will reach out to folks like you to help advise and help them do that because i know i can speak from our experience here we have leaders who have an uncanny ability uh, especially our owners to get a lot done themselves but mm-hmm. translating that to other people is always a challenge and so when you come into an organization that has been successful is not in dire straits and is looking to go as uh, uh, Collins talks about good to great where do you start like what what do you help uh, unpack for those owners and again the EOS model is uh, for those that are not familiar it's the entrepreneurial operating system. And by nature, entrepreneurs are doers. They are vision people. They're not structure. They're not necessarily people who are thinking about building systems. They're just thinking about the next cool thing that they're going to be focused on. Uh, and they want others to rally around it. So where do you start when you're working with an organization that's built around entrepreneurship? So for me, I'm going to go back to that story I told you. Uh, before as well. It's it's people. It's the leadership team. Um, and then uh, we start with people and um, we believe people are first. And that to me, it's both structure and right people, right seats. So it's working with the leadership team and identifying not just what's the right structure today, um, and but it's what's the right structure 12 to 24 months out. And we, when we talk about structure, and I know you know this, John, but most entrepreneurs don't. And if I was a, a tradesman or a craftsman, uh, whether I was in technology or construction or whatever, I wouldn't understand that structure also is about clarity. It's about accountability. Um, so when we, when we start with teams, it's working with the leadership team and identifying what is the right structure for the company today, but also to accommodate growth in the future. And not about names, who those people are, cousin Louie over here, uh, George, who's my best friend over here. No, it's it's this seat. It's yes, we do need a separate marketing person from a sales leader. We need both of those positions on our team because, and there's a relevant business reason for that, we have three different operational seats and they all three belong at the leadership team level. Here's why. Um, we do want strategic HR at the leadership team level. We're such a people-heavy business, that's really critical to our performance. Um, so it's structure at the leadership team level, forward-looking, clear roles in those different seats. So I know what I do versus what John does versus what Sally does. Clarity, accountability, clear expectation. But if I John's my boss, what does John expect of me? in a simplified version, right? It's not a, a list of 52 things, <laughs> all the minutia that Chad has to do on a weekly basis, but what are the what are the five to seven things that if there's a maelstrom around me, I can step into your office, John, as my boss and say, hey, help me out here, John. I got all these priorities. 
of the my five to seven things, what are the two I got to focus on? This week? Um, then the other part of that, after you have the structure with the leadership team, the leadership team identifying who are those right people for those seats, who aligns with our core values, and who is a fit with those seats um, in their unique abilities, strengths, skills, experience, et cetera. What are maybe one or two things that you have found as you enter into these businesses that is the hardest thing for those owners, those leaders, those entrepreneurs to make the shift when they're trying to grow their business and put a little bit of what you've talked about there in terms of the structure, the right people? What's the biggest one or two biggest challenges that you tend to see with people as they try to implement a new business system? You know, it's uh, I've struggled with it. I don't know about you. Maybe you did in your earlier days, but um, I've got a I've got a big manufacturing and distribution client right now who's got a leader who is a wonderful salt of the earth servant leader. Love this guy. I mean, it's somebody you would want um, on any team, but not necessarily in a senior leadership role. Maybe in a middle role because what makes him this wonderful salt of the earth guy also prevents him from delegating to those higher value activities that the business really needs from a senior level leader who's up here, where it's getting results through other people versus the doing. You alluded to that a little earlier. So in, in many small businesses, what got us there is not going to get us further. Um, US calls it letting go of the vine. I think it's just behavioral. I think it's the ability to evolve and change. Um, and so this wonderful guy, is being constrained by his own behaviors because and, and his motivation is hey john i'm not going to ask susie to do what i'm not going to do myself and what a pompous jackass i would be if i did that <laughs> i i want to just get the work done well what he doesn't he's not in, emotionally getting is that's holding himself back from doing those more strategic uh, more higher value kind of activities so that's that's pretty common hey if i'm a if i'm a tradesman what got me here using my hands and hands on the business and kind of being the hub of the business, that becomes the constraint to growth. And that's really emotionally hard to deal with. And it it's not that they don't want to necessarily. In some ways, it's they don't know even how to both up and down. And what I mean by that is it's not only delegating to other people what they can do because they are skilled at doing it, but it's also the letting go to, well, then what do I do? Because I know when I'm safe doing this, now I'm asked, asking myself and the business is asking of me to do these higher value things, as you just called them, and I've never done them before. So I don't know how to even go about doing that. Is it also fair to say in many cases, because they were hands-on, there was an easy roadmap for them every day. This is what I got to do. Yeah. And now I've got a little bit more freedom, if you will, because these higher value things are typically not tactical. They are strategic, which takes more time, more thought. And that's hard for people, especially small business owners who are used to operating their business in, in the weeds Boy, every day. You nailed it. It's there's a great book. I think you've read it. Finish Big by Bo yeah. Burlingham. Um, just a series of stories about entrepreneurs who've transitioned out of their business, successful stories um, and really painful kind of cautionary tales. But the same kind of a dynamic exists, whether it's 
delegating and letting go of these things that got us to a certain point or at that transition point, if I as an entrepreneur haven't answered the question for myself, what's next? That purpose piece is missing. And that's a huge emotional challenge. I was with a client last night that I've known for a decade. He's just now kind of getting comfortable with his new role. I mean, and I said, congratulations. I'm going to make up a name. George, you've got owner freedom. And he said, you know, I'm starting to get comfortable with that. I'm starting to understand it's okay to follow my other outside dreams. And it's a wonderful thing. I've created this leadership team because it's given me this freedom and, and the business is thriving and healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that is something that as a former business owner myself, I always tell, I tell the story jokingly that as we grew our business and as I was hands-on, I had a, uh, a second in command, if you will. And one day she looked at me and said, I need to need you to fire yourself from the business because I was becoming more of a distraction for where we needed to go mm. because I had a, I had those 10,000 ideas. And so as hard as that was for me, it was, as you point out, an emotional piece. I also see that being in a business and watching owners struggle with this uh, almost on a daily basis because it is really about wow, I, I'm not needed in the business like I thought I was, not because they don't add value, but because they've actually hired people who are really good at what they now are doing that 10 years ago I did myself. Um, are there lessons that that you think are important for owners to uh, to kind of work through as they enter into whatever the whatever business model they're choosing to use and run their business on, are there some key things that they need to be critically aware of uh, as they enter into something like this? Because it's not easy to shift your business uh, and to, and to put some some of these things in place. So, what are some things that you uh, help uh, owners and and leaders? really start to identify as critical things and what stages does that happen in? Yeah. So ooh, that's, that's a biggie, John. That's a um, few layers to that one. So I'm going to start with the, the, the cautionary tales. It's, it's really around the, our qualifying conversations with owners because it's not just, as you very well know from um, your own experience as an owner and, and being on leadership teams and leading teams. Um, the operating system, I'm going to take a step back to us, an operating system for a business, you know, the, or, or an operating model, some interchangeable, just depending on who you talk to. The business model is how we make money. The operating model is, is in our opinion, the structure and the language of the business. So installing or, or implementing an operating model isn't just press go. Um, that's only the first piece of it. So the so what we focus on is, do you have the capacity to execute? Because if you are so overwhelmed and bogged down in the business and you created this uh, web that uh, tangles you into everything in the business, that takes unwinding and that's painful and time consuming and it's costly. So do you have the capacity, and we define that by leadership team of three or more, so people to execute. Because if you have this operating model that you put in place that requires action and building out and, and exercising new muscles, and you don't have the capacity to execute, 
you're not going to realize the return on investment and it's it's going to be annoying and expensive um, so capacity um, the willingness and ability to invest so what an operating model can do for an owner and a leadership team is exposed i mean the first year of work we work with our clients a lot of them it's been deferred maintenance it's wrong people wrong seats um, it's dysfunction that exists in the culture it's uh, structural gaps in the organization or bad structures so that first year oftentimes is the unwinding the second year is when you're building and investing and the third year we see is when the fish hook happens so for an owner i'm very we're, we are very open up front and we say the investment with us that's not where it ends um i've had you know i've got a client in the it business that had to invest in a new erp system they had bad data i mean imagine going into your annual season with not trusting your data that it was bad um, people uh the business outgrowing people and having to invest in in people who have the ability to be strategic so capacity willingness and ability to invest we look right at the owner and ask the question are you coachable oftentimes the greatest asset and the greatest threats to a business are one and the same the owner the founder because if that owner isn't coachable meaning willing to let other people take over and grow willing to delegate those other those activities to other folks he or she's not going to again not going to realize the return on investment and we're going to be expensive and annoying there's a little theme. <laughs> so those are a couple things that we really we really press home to our clients and that it's not instant gratification which I'm the I'm the kid in the marshmallow test that eats them all, right? I, I love instant gratification, so um, I get it, I get it. But it's uh, you know a couple decade old business. It's a project to turn this thing around. Yeah, and as you know, you alluded to one of the biggest challenges oftentimes is letting go not only of the things that the leadership or owners do on a daily basis, but it's also letting go of people who the business has outgrown because these are folks who have been oftentimes loyal. They have been uh, instrumental in where the business has gotten to today. But as you look out into the future, the skill sets or the, the requirement for that job has changed dramatically. Maybe tell uh, the audience maybe some stories around some of those challenges, because I would venture to guess that anybody who's listening to this, who's a small business owner who would be is contemplating a move like this by engaging somebody like you yourself, that's going to be an area that's going to be really hard to both examine, but also then execute when, when it comes time to having to, to say some goodbyes maybe, or some taking, having people take a step back in the role that they play today. So maybe yeah. share a little bit about what that has looked like in some of your experiences. Yeah. So, um, my own experience, just a quickie, uh, had a situation where, um, the structure of our organization changed and I had a really, really talented uh, loyal, uh, high-performing manager that the structure changed. And the, and the old saying, the music stopped and there wasn't a seat for her. And um, 
she was uh, she was such a uh, a bright and self aware person. She got it. She made my job a lot easier. But we had a good conversation. We were talking about that leading up to that event through the structure. I didn't dance around that. We didn't whistle in the dark with one another. We saw that coming, and she knew I'd been given these tools by Gallup and just how I'm hardwired. There was a, there was already an open and honest environment in our group. We, I, I knew where she wanted to go developmentally. She knew where we were going strategically and what was happening. So neither of us were surprised. And when it happened, we just had an exit strategy. And I helped introduce her to a few different opportunities. She ultimately found her own opportunity. She didn't need my help, but I was sure there. And, and after the fact, she, we still, we've worked together since then on a couple projects. But she said, the old cliche, best thing that ever happened to me, forced her to go be an entrepreneur, which she wanted to do, but was terrified of. And she said it, uh, it was really painful, but the fact that um, I knew you were there and that you supported me um, and that you helped me create this path to move, move forward myself. So the old best thing that ever happened to me. Um, on the on the business side today, um, it's the owner stories. There's some similar themes there, John. Where really emotionally tough. I had a I had a client who was was growing, and in, in this case, it was a financier. And this woman was a a farm girl, really a, just a a workhorse, phenomenally loyal, just a grinder, and and had done great work for this business, but was very tactical really didn't have strategic in her DNA. Um, probably wasn't even a controller, was just more of an accountant. And the business really needed more, not necessarily a CFO, but really needed that controller, really needed somebody who could lead and manage people. And that wasn't in her DNA. And so um, she actually became, because the old saying, uh, if you see a turtle on a post, Somebody put them there. Um, I love that saying. And I put turtles on post, by the way. And so that speaks to me as a leader. When I no longer am a fit for my seat, it's like that visual of a turtle sitting on a fence post, kind of legs flailing. And she was uncomfortable. And so ultimately, um, she had to be helped to that next opportunity. Tried to find a spot for her in the company, but the company couldn't afford her salary at a lower level seat and was open and honest with her. And so she left. Uh, another last instance would be a family business, big steel erection, bridge building company. The son of the founder was, uh, was on the leadership team. And, uh, and it became very clear early on that he didn't have the willingness or the ability to think and act strategically. Um, the business really needed somebody in his role and the operations leadership team seat to think and act strategically. And thankfully, this guy had a love for the business and really understood the greater good that whether as an employee uh, or not, he was an owner. And so he was able to be self-aware enough to, to admit that, you know what, this is not what I do best. I want to be out in the field with my guys um, as a field supervisor. That's what I love to do. That's what I want to do. And he self-evaluated with the help of of the structure and the operating system so but hard i mean his mom who was the leader and the owner oh 
really hard for her. She, she said it was the worst day and the best day of her life because she was so afraid coming into it and she was so proud of him and how he behaved with integrity and courage after that day. Well, and you touched on a lot there. And I think one of the things that I, that stood out to me, and I think it is an important piece. It's that self-awareness. It's, it's critically having the ability to recognize when you're either out of your depth or don't have a desire to do what the business needs you to do, whether it's in that seat or anything else. Uh, And then you also touched on the open and honest uh, and, and that those two hallmarks, I think are important for anybody. Let's pivot a little bit as we uh, as we stay on the theme of of how do you help organizations uh, become aware themselves of what they need and talk about the numbers because oftentimes, especially in small business too, where owners uh, are really heavily involved in the business itself, sharing numbers of any kind can be a little bit tricky and challenging, especially if you're introducing new people. Uh, on the leadership team, uh, sort of uncovering or opening the hood, if you will, to the business. Share maybe a little bit about what you help owners recognize, not to share everything because it's not appropriate, but the appropriateness of sharing how the business actually operates and makes money. Yeah, that's, that's another key point. So what I love about, um, an operating system, the, the one that we utilize, EOS having been a, a big part of that, it's the belief in an open book management system. I came up in a publicly held company and in my privately held in the front end of consolidation, shared financials, right? It was either because the nature of the company or because of the culture and the belief. And what that allowed me to do as uh, an employee or a manager, um, whatever role in the team was, is I got to understand how are we doing? How are we doing? And not only in a revenue standpoint, but the ultimate scorecard for a business to profitability. So that that um, it it gave me context to really understand that you know the old finger on the pulse of the business. How are we doing? So we uh, coach owners and leaders to practice that open book management because then it does give the employees that ability to think like an owner, even without being an ESOP. We have a number of ESOP clients that that's kind of just rocket fuel in that whole dynamic. But ultimately we work towards a thinking of the greater good. And uh, uh, one of the big misnomers, John, that I see every single time after we make our first presentation with the leadership team to the team of people in the room, um without whenever there's direct evidence always part of that dynamic is oh my god if john if you're the owner oh my god john i thought you made wheelbarrows full of money every day they're shocked at how truly little money the owners make they think that fcp services that the owners are yeah dump truck full of money out the back door every single day they don't have a clue how expensive it is and how much risk is involved. And so, um, and so that ability to understand that, um, that ability to then, you're giving me the ability to connect the dot to how can I play a part with my seat in the company in the overall performance. And so with the leader um, and getting them comfortable with it, 
it's uh, it's really about getting them comfortable. It's that same kind of emotional conundrum, getting them comfortable with the fact of you have to uh, evolve your organization and your organization's culture and thinking, and you have to invite people in. It can't just be about you being Atlas and putting the world on your shoulders. You have to invite people in and give them a chance to take ownership of their part in the overall growth of the company. So open book being a huge, huge part of that. It leads to what's expected of me, holding me accountable, bringing clarity and allowing me to align with the division, the values, but the performance as well as the organization. And the interesting thing about that is when you actually start having those conversations at the level at which people need to and and can comprehend what that means, is not only do you create ownership in the in the sense of what they do, but you also are actually allowing those who have a desire to grow themselves to start stepping forward because they start taking advantage of those of that knowledge gain. And now you start to see them in a different light. They see the business in a different light, but you as a leader start to see who really has that opportunity. I can tell you from being in this business, how often we see people who are our field workers, who are the pulse of our business, who come to us at some point and say, I want what you guys have. And for us to be able to go, man, we could really lose some really good people. We shift our mindset to say, yeah, but we can gain a big partner. And so we help them become entrepreneurs themselves. I know that's been a, it's one of the joys that actually we have of watching people who are now taking on that opportunity themselves. And then they have that aha moment when they finally get out on their own and go, wow, this is much harder than I thought it was. <laughs> and it, the, it changes those dynamics, but it started with that seed of open book management and understanding how businesses operate. So I think it, it can be both a good thing and a challenging thing. It just depends on your perspective as an owner going to the greater good. Do I really care about my people? And if I do, that sometimes means saying goodbye to them, uh, both because they're no longer a fit, but also mm -hmm. to give them a new opportunity that still leverages that partnership that we have, um, which I know we learned quite a bit as we went through this process, both things that we did well and things we still need to continue to improve upon as we grow the business. Maybe as we wrap things up, Chad, share uh, some insight that you would have if somebody's considering, whether it's with you guys or with another organization that offers the services that you guys offer, what are some things that they need to really deeply understand and, and come to terms with before they pick up that phone and say, hey, we'd like to have you guys come out and present what you do. We're, we're really thinking about making the, uh, a, a concerted effort to bring somebody on to help us elevate our business. What are, they, what are some of those things that you would hope that they would either ask that they don't always ask you guys on the front end, and then you get too deep into it and realize it's not the right thing for them after all? You know, John, I'm a believer in uh, something actually I know for a fact you're passionate about um, is around both values and beliefs. I think it, it's not just powerful for employees, but I always advocate for my clients to do that with their suppliers as well. People, you know, it's the, um, it's, it's, do people believe what you believe? Do they share those same values? Um, Simon Sinek, um, the Golden Circle, and and so the thing I would say is um, have a, in your mind's eye, 
not just in your heart, but in your head in this conversation, have an understanding of what your values are in the in the most practical, simple, kind of tangible form and, and what you believe. So for instance, we believe in a relational relationship. Um, that's not always, and what do I mean by that? That it's not about time and materials. It's not uh, about cost per thousand. It's not about, um, it's not a transactional dynamic where if you need something more, John, oh, I'm going to write out a little bill for you. You know, it's like the, the attorney, nothing wrong with attorneys, at least most of them. <laughs> but the timer doesn't go off. It's about, am I committed to getting to the finish line with John and his team? And um, within reason, doing the work that needs to be done as a part of that. That's relation. So uh, you're going to find some advisors out there who are really talented and really principled and who are transactional in their nature. That's their business model. It doesn't make them bad people. Understand what's important to you, what you believe, what your values are, and style as well. Um, somebody's style. Is it an intense style? Is it a looser style? So I think that's part of the soup. Certainly, are they good at doing what they do? Absolutely. Are they good at doing what they do? But do they align with your values, uh, what you believe? And then if even if that aligns and my style is like nails on a chalkboard to you, run away. Um, you're going to want to embrace them as part of your team and, and really connect with them. That's to me, that's when, I, when I've had outside providers come in, those people that have just been transformational in my life are the ones who could give me that ear box um, and, and uh, coach me up tough, but do it in a way that I could hear it. I respected it and I knew they cared. They weren't just, they weren't just there with their hand in my pocket. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the absolute truth. I think it, I think it transcends all of those pieces, right? I mean, one of the hardest things for any of us in ownership or, or leadership of a business is to say no to things, right? Nobody, especially if you talk to an entrepreneur who thinks that they can say yes to everything and make it work. The hardest thing to do is to say no to business opportunities, to say no to people, to say no to having a framework. And I think the same thing is what you've you've really alluded to. And one of the easier ways to do that is to understand who you are, what your organization is about, and it helps to set the lens for who do we want to bring into or under that tent, whether it's a provider, whether it's a, a, a vendor and supplier, whether it's people full time or whatever that might be. I think that's great advice. And I, and I would encourage it. It's also the hardest thing to do. I know that yeah. in my own business, when I turned the corner and we started to have really strong success, it was because I, as an owner, had a very clear picture of what I wanted the business to be. And we started to walk away from more business than we took on. And yet mm. it worked out better for us because of that. We weren't taking anything that showed up because it was revenue and we were afraid of saying no. And so, um, I think that's great advice. And I think it's one that I would certainly advocate for because not everything is going to be right for you and your business. Um, and again, it's not an indictment on anybody else's business or how they do business. It simply is just who you are and what you're comfortable with. So, well, I appreciate the insights, Chad, as always, I've, I learn something every time we have a conversation and I'm appreciative of it. Uh, I certainly know the influence and impact you had on our business as we started to embrace the EOS, uh, uh system 
and get us into a position where we can continue to grow, learn, and do it on our own. As as you to- told us often, uh, it's taking the training wheels off at some point, and we actually have to do the work and, and do this ourselves. You were there to help us, but at some point you needed to fire yourself, and that's uh, what we what we got to at some point. So we appreciated that, and I appreciate you being on today. Um, and uh, I would certainly advocate for anybody who has the like-minded things, heard things that you talked about today, it resonated with them, reach out uh, and, uh, and connect uh, on LinkedIn or otherwise for you. John, a pleasure and an honor always. Uh, love interacting with you any chance I get. And um, I am in the cheap seats rooting FCP <laughs> services on. You've got, a, you've got a wonderful couple of owners um, and your leadership team who really care uh, about that business. And that's why you're, you've done so well over the years. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. We we thank you for being on and, uh, and we will be in touch shortly, I'm sure. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.